This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast. Also, back to doing our videos. We did this in the spring. Uh, football is here, and we're jumping in back onto the YouTube. So if you are an Odds and Audibles listener on the podcast and you want to put a face to the voice, you can go onto YouTube and you can watch the shows there as well. Um, Guys, it's Friday, August 27th. Fall camp is officially over. We're eight days away from Oregon playing Fresno State at 11 a.m. from Austin Stadium. Uh, Game is broadcasted on the Pac-12 Network's and we spoke with Cristobal after their fast Friday practice, and we learned a gazillion things, and probably most notably who starts at quarterback, and that's Anthony Brown. Yeah, we I think went into this being like either we're going to hear today or we might not yeah. ever really learn until the game starts. And uh, I'll be honest, like, I wasn't expecting Mario Cristobal to open up about so many things so early. There are a couple other pretty notable topics we'll get to on this podcast uh, updates on Jamal Hill and DJ James, a couple running backs, got some injuries, that stuff there. But yeah, quarterback, he opened right up with it. Anthony Brown's a starting quarterback. They're keeping the number two job open. Um, so read into that as you want. But you know, between Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, and Robbie Ashford, that's still open for that backup spot. And I did ask Cristobal what the timeline is for determining that. And he said that they need to get that determined soon enough, you know, because there's only so many practice reps they can have, and they need that second guy to be getting the majority of those reps aside from the starter. So um, there's that update, but sticking with the Brown news, uh, Jared, this is what we'd expected, but I think because of some of the play from Ty Thompson and a couple of scrimmages, um, there was reason to believe at least that, Hey, maybe one of the freshmen, maybe Ty is going to take this job over. Um, We get to today and we learn that's not the case. Are you surprised at all? Uh, No, no, not surprised at all. Uh, I really do think that, uh, Anthony Brown was the guy heading into camp. I thought he would open the season and I still, th- and obviously he is at this point. Um, I'm still uh, not hundred percent sold that he's going to start every game of the year. Um, he's going to have to to prove it. I think Ohio state would be the big test. If he performs well, I think he's going to put a lot of fans minds at ease over this quarterback. Cause it's been a little bit of a controversy, but uh, yeah, no, not surprised. Um, good to hear. Now he has a full week with the starter name under his belt. Uh, team knows where they're headed and should be a good time. I, I I look at this and think like this to me, this played exactly how it, it played out in my mind. And Crystal ball said that Anthony Brown was pushed. Ty Thompson pushed him. Jay Butterfield pushed him. Robbie Ashford pushed him. But ultimately like, Anthony Brown starts week one against Fresno State. And I think the question now is, and whether it's fair or or justified or or completely unfair to Anthony Brown, um, it's what kind of leeway does he have? How much credit has he built up? Because I, I feel like against Iowa State and the Fiesta Bowl at times, 
he looked good. Um, but at other times against Iowa State and in instances against USC, he did not look good. How much of that was lack of preparation? How much of it was, you know, just jitters off day, what have you? But that becomes my question is how much of credit has he built up where if they go to uh, Ohio State and they lose in a bad fashion, do we see this open up again? Or is he the, the, the starter of the entire year? I think that's the question I have now is I probably lean he's the starter for most of the year, but it, we could see it, it. I don't like doing percentages, um, but it would be a, it would be an, a, a pretty big shock to me if Anthony Brown isn't the starter week one through week 12. But if the only caveat I'd throw out there is if, 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 more than one loss happens in the first half of the year. Yeah. Probably opens the door. Well, and I think the thing that's notable from this a little bit is it, they didn't name a second quarterback. And if we were, you know, and I, and I think that's intentional to keep competition open. Although Mario did say they want to press the issue. They want to get this narrowed down soon because you don't want to go four weeks into the season without knowing that and you're splitting reps. And then, Hey, like you said, something happens with Anthony or he doesn't play very well and you have to make a switch and you don't have somebody who has, you know, the necessary reps, you know, you don't want to be in a spot where a Braxton Burmeister is thrust into a game. You know, obviously he's not on the roster, but something like that. And it doesn't go well. Um, I thought it was really notable that there's no second quarterback announced yet. And I understand these guys are the same age, same inexperience. They share a lot of those traits, but I would have thought this far into camp, some of the things we'd heard about Ty Thompson, that there would have been a pretty dis, you know, a pretty distinct decision made there. There wasn't one. And that really leads me to believe, not that there's maybe more separation than we thought, but that the fact there's no clear cut number two makes me think that Anthony Brown's job is, is probably a little bit more safe than maybe we realized. Do you think that's fair, Jared? Yeah, I thought it was a little interesting as well that there wasn't a second quarterback name. It just maybe when the depth chart comes out next week, there will be a number two named, but it's looking right now like it's going to be a lot of oars on that depth chart. Um, so yeah, I agree with you, Eric, where it does feel like Anthony Jobs or excuse me, Anthony Brown's job is a little more secure right now because Oregon and the staff might not know who the actual number two is. Uh, I would expect that to be resolved in the next two weeks, at least. And I, I still am under the impression that it's Ty Thompson who's going to be the number two. We know, you know Robbie Ashford has been playing with the twos for the practices that we've been able to go into. He's usually the second up to bat, but just everything we've heard the last few weeks, especially coming after that first scrimmage that we were able to watch, you know, Ty Thompson has been you know, writing this helium high of his name being thrown out there that he you know, might be the starter, might be week one guy. And, but now it's officially closed. You know, Anthony Brown is that guy. I was just going to say like, who do we think is the number two? Because going into camp, it almost felt like, it it was going to be Robbie Ashford and Ty Thompson was probably fourth on that list in my eyes. Now I probably look at this thinking Ty Thompson's probably number two. Um, if I had to, you know, put my stake on it, but I'm not sure you can, you can count out Jay Butterfield either. Like, yeah, first of all noted, like he, he has this reputation, the stigma of being this like slow footed quarterback. And that's not true at all. Um, and we've heard a lot about, and we've seen him, you know, throw really good balls in, in the spring game. And he had some really one, good ones in that open scrimmage. Like 
I truly don't think they know who their number two is right now. Well, and, and maybe one thing to know here is just like, are we over, are we making too much out of the scrimmage we got to watch, the open scrimmage? You know, if that was one practice day, and this is the thing we've heard Mario say time and time, whether it be about a spring game or a scrimmage, if that's just one practice session out of, you know, a couple dozen, you know, 15 to 20 in the fall, right. about 15 in the spring, maybe we saw Ty's best day and Anthony's worst day and the rest of camp. And obviously, obviously there was enough competition where they didn't name a starter until today. But it's also possible that maybe maybe Ty's camp is our opinions are inflated by that. I, I tend to not think that's the case because there's definitely a lot of smoke out there about how well he'd been, you know, participating and performing um, outside of what we'd seen. But I mean, part of me does think like, yeah, that scrimmage was really decisive. But may, maybe we made too much out of it. I don't know. I, I think it's always hard to to kind of juggle with the limited practice opportunities we have to watch. Kind of what we think is taking place. Yeah. So there's that part. And then I, I guess the last thing we should talk about is just what's the ceiling for this offense. Now that Anthony Brown is the starter. Um, I think we, we feel better in the short term. Do we feel better long-term Matt about Anthony Brown as opposed to if it was Ty Thompson or one of the other guys? I, I think the best way to explain my expectations for Anthony Brown, at quarterback is I don't think he will be the best quarterback in the conference. Um, I also don't think he will be any worse than honorable mention all league. And I think the most likely scenario is he's named second team or third string uh, all league quarterback. I, I think that's the expectation. He's not the guy, the number one best quarterback in the conference, but he's probably better than 10 other nine other teams quarterbacks and it would take a very special team to not take him at quarterback over their current guy if you gave the coach true serum. Like, I think that's the expectation for me is that this team is, a, is one of the best offenses in the country and that Anthony Brown isn't necessarily an All-American at the quarterback position, isn't necessarily the offensive player of the year in the Pac-12, but – there are only a handful of quarterbacks who have a better year than he does across the country. Jared, does this change your opinion at all for Oregon, Ohio state? Uh, no, <laughs> I still don't have, I have a hard time uh, picturing Oregon going in there and winning. I, I do think it'll be a competitive game. Uh, I do like, I would like to answer your question, Eric, to Matt, where it's, you know, what about the, the long-term potential of the offense? Matt, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, like Anthony Brown is still a very formidable quarterback. He was good at Boston College, but he, you know, suffered his two uh, ACL injuries. And this offense has a has a boatload of weapons. You know, he's gonna have days where uh, one of Oregon's wide receivers is just better than the the other defensive back, and they're gonna be open. And so he's gonna have relatively easy throws to make, and he's gonna have an offensive line that should be better than it was last year. He's going to have a running back duo, CJ Verdell and Travis Dye, who are one of the best returning uh, duos in the country. So I don't think all of the pressure on this offense is on him. I think he's going to have days where he could be better or could be worse. But I do think at the end of the day, you know, Anthony Brown is an above average quarterback who should, frankly, put up some good numbers this year in a second year of Coach Moorhead's offense. Um, that being said, I still don't have Oregon winning in Columbus. I, I think Jared made a good point. Like 
every position he's going to be around at Oregon will be an upgrade compared to Boston College. Yeah. Like, and, I, and that has to factor in. And, and so I don't I, – I still think they, they lose at Ohio State. I think they probably play a more competitive game with Anthony Brown at quarterback as of right now, what the information that we have, um, I, I would feel that way um, of the, over one of the freshmen, but I think he's going to have a good year. Like the talent around him is significantly better. And when you surround yourself with better players or better employees or, you know, whatever, better, whatever you yourself will, will be, better because the talent around you will continue to lift you up a little bit. We'll see that play out with Anthony Brown at quarterback, I think. Yeah, I think that just to wrap up quarterback talk, maybe um, I, I made this point before, but I'll make it again. And now that Brown's a starter, I, I think the expectation is kind of like think Darren Thomas a little bit where Oregon has a ton of really talented skill guys and they're going to have an innovative offense that's going to allow those skill players to make a lot of you know plays in space and kind of highlight those skill sets. And I think Brown's job, not that I don't think he can, I don't want to say I don't think he can win games, but I think the goal for most of the games is that he's going to kind of be your point guard and just kind of you know, be, be that pivot mm-hmm. guy who gets the ball to everybody, make sure everybody, you know, gets involved in the offense. And when you have the receivers we've talked about and the running backs we've talked about and tight ends and I think an improving offensive line, I think the collectively the expectation, the weight on Anthony Brown's shoulders shouldn't have to be too immense at least to start because he's got so many skilled guys around him. That's, that's at least, I think, I, I think I take away regardless of who was that quarterback, but especially with a senior like Brown. Before we move on real quick, I do think whoever is the number two quarterback, if Fresno state or Stony Brook, or if it's Arizona, if yeah. these games present the opportunity where in the fourth quarter, you're winning by 20 points, three or four scores, and the game is no longer in doubt. Anthony Brown should not be in a quarterback. And mm-hmm. I would love to see whoever the number two quarterback is, get a series or two with the first team offense, see what they can do, and then pull the first team offense and keep that guy in. Because I think they did a, a big disservice to themselves as a staff in 2018 and in 2019 by not playing Tyler Shuck more than the, yeah. and developing and knowing what they had going into 2020 and they kept Herbert and in the first team offense. And so if the, if the opportunity arises and they have a blowout at their hands, get the other quarterback in, get him some reps with the first team, get him some reps with the second team and see what you have so that you have a better idea in 2022. Agreed. And the opening schedule, I think lends yourself to that. Hopefully Fresno state, Stony Brook, Arizona, all feel like games you, you could see a fourth quarter open up like that. Mm-hmm. Big news. We also heard uh, from Mario Cristobal this week was the addition or the reinstatement of two suspended players, Jamal Hill, DJ James. Uh, they were suspended August 3rd, literally the day before fall camp um, actually opened up. Uh, they were charged and cited with the, uh, Multiple issues, um, issues isn't the, isn't the right word, but multiple citations um, with shooting pellet guns at people. Um, they have an arraignment on like what the 8th of September? Yep, September 8th. And we now have word from Crystal Ball that they have been reinstated into the program 
on a practice uh, basis, um, they will not be playing against Fresno State. But he also didn't close the door for them being suspended for Ohio State. And he also didn't close the door for them being back and available for, for Ohio State week two. Yeah, we, we saw them leaving practice. Yeah. And just to just for some kind of humor here, we were not expecting today to be very exciting to the point where there were a bunch of um, smoothies <laughs> placed on a table right outside of practice. And most of the media was watching to see which smoothie flavor was the most popular. That was what that was what we were thinking was going to be like one of the most interesting things of the day. And then we're you know, and out of the corner of my eye, I see a guy who looks a lot like Jamal Hill walk out of practice. And I think that's sort of interesting. And then a guy who looks very much like DJ James walks up after him and they kind of like fist bump. And I'm like, that's interesting. And, uh, and yeah, shortly after we see that, uh, Myro comes out and announced that they've been reinstated for practice. Uh, we don't know exactly when this took place, by the way, because we haven't been able to watch practice. Um, this could have taken place earlier in the week, for all we know. We might have missed them. But um, they definitely practiced or, or, or took part in Oregon's fast Friday um, today on, on, you know, the, was it the 27th? And they're available potentially for games after Fresno State. Fresno State game is the only game where Cristobal ruled out. So – I don't know. I, I, I think this is opening up where you have both those guys available against Ohio State. Now it's a matter of them getting kind of reacclimated. I mean, if they're just starting practice today, that gives them about two weeks of practice to get ready for Ohio State and, and kind of get back into game shape and, and sort out position battles. Um, so I think, boy, I, that's a certainly good to get that information sorted out and kind of a shot in the arm for Oregon's defense to have both those guys. It seems like back in the fold sooner than later. They need that. They needed that depth. I mean, they're not going to need it against Fresno state. And, and honestly, like, would it, would it help? Yes. To have them from a talent perspective against Ohio state. Um, but they'll be fine from a pure bodies number standpoint, like week one, week two, week three. But as the season goes on, Guys start getting nicked up. Guys start getting hurt. A guy twists an ankle and has to miss a, a defensive series while it's getting retaped. Getting these two guys back down the road, whenever that is, will be really beneficial for this team, let alone the talent perspective that they add to the mix as well. Yeah, Jamal Hill is is such a big addition for this defense to come back. And, you know, we don't know exactly when he's coming back. I guess the idea is obviously after week one, but like you said, Matt, just from a pure numbers, like bodies perspective, it's a huge deal. Uh, these are two guys we played all the time last year. Uh, we, and DJ James was potentially a starter this year. Now that seems to be a three person competition, at least maybe for week two with him, Triquez Bridges and Dante Manning. But regardless, this is a, like you said, a big shot in the arm. This will play immense, pay immense dividends over the course of the year to have these two guys back. You, you mentioned uh, Triquez, Dante, DJ. One of the things Mario did say, we can kind of acknowledge this, we talked about how the second-string quarterback position stays open. He also said that that Dante Manning, Triquez Bridges um, boundary corner position is, is also remaining open. Those guys are going to continue to battle up until the Fresno State game, maybe through the Fresno State game for that. And like Jared said, I think when DJ James returns, he now enters a three-player competition for that spot. And it might be a thing where one of the guys played so well in the Fresno State game that it's really just him versus whoever performed the best. But I don't think James steps in and starts. I think there's a better chance that Jamal Hill at least plays a lot of football whenever he's available to play right away just because I don't want to disparage Bennett Williams, but I don't know if he's quite 
the same caliber of player as these two corners in terms of what they've done this fall. So I, I, I feel better about if we're just like taking, I guess, uh, you know, trying to figure out kind of who's most available and who's going to be more, you know, impactful quickest. I think Hill before James probably. And then at the cornerback spot, like DJ James might not even get his job back. Like sure. he might not I mean he, I think we were looking at him after spring football going into fall camp before this even happened as, Hey, like he's got an opportunity to be a three-year starter at cornerback for Oregon, be that next great guy. You know, the, you know, Mikhail Wright's going to, has assumed the lockdown, the NFL caliber guy this season. He was that way last year, but he was also sharing it with, with Demo. Um, Demo's now gone. And so it's kind of like, Hey, Mikhail's clear cut. Number one, DJ is going to be the number two. And then when Mikhail moves on to the NFL, DJ elevates himself up, becomes that number one guy. He might not get that job back. Like TriQuest Bridges and Dante Manning have duked it out so much and have been so impressive in camp. They're not, they're not ready to name a starter yet at that spot. You know, they're, they're, it's two neck and neck. And it wouldn't surprise me if those two guys use this opportunity as a launch board for their own careers to kind of, position themselves to be cute, you know, quarterback one and quarterback two next year. Certainly. No, it wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, Bridges and Manning have both looked great from a just a pure physical size and skill standpoint so far this fall camp. Uh, that's really turned into a heated battle that I didn't really think it would be going into fall camp. I kind of thought Dante Manning might just be able to separate himself, but Clearly, no. Trackers Bridges is there to stay. He's having a great fall camp, and you know you hear his name all the time. Kind of cool. Just a slight, kind of just from a geographical perspective, all three of those guys out of Oregon's typical Pac-12 footprint. You got a guy from Missouri, um, and a couple guys from the state of Alabama um, in there as well. So, um, just from a geographical perspective, you're seeing some players from the southeast arrive in Eugene and potentially play quite a bit right away. So. I think that part's encouraging as well, but good to see those players back. And again, I think we'll, we don't have full clarity about Ohio state, but I think reading the tea leaves and what Mario said and the way he said it, that would be the, maybe the game to expect to see something from those two. Going into game week. Now this team is, is relatively healthy. I I think you, and that right there, you knock on wood, uh, any kind of superstition you have for good mojo, you do it because there's been some injuries. Patrick Herbert's probably lost for the year. Jackson Laduca linebacker is probably out for a really significant period of time. We don't know if it's for the year. I don't want to assume, but it doesn't look good. Um, Sean Dollars is, I don't know. Crystal ball didn't seem like it was a positive update, but I walked away thinking like that was actually pretty positive. Um, Sean Dollars is a mid-season return right now, which well, I think to me is earlier. Well, I think that's because when camp started, he was suggesting like he might be able to take part in camp. And then today he's like, yeah, he's two months away. Maybe he's mid-season. So like, I think he maybe jumped the gun because he did say, I pro- I think he said something. To, I, let me pull the quote up here. I got it in front of me too. Um, but he did say, let's see, let me find this quote for, for dollars in particular. Uh, he said, it's probably a little longer than first expected. So um, read into that as you want, but dollars is not somebody who's going to be available for a while. Trey Benson is some positive news for the running back group. 
Um, the quotes from, from Mario here, I think are very positive. I wouldn't be surprised if he's available for the opener. Um, he says he looks good. He's ready to go. Um, he's, he was, he had been limited, but not this week. He's now taking live reps. We've been cautious because you always want to be cautious when a guy goes through an injury like that, but the confidence in him over the last week and a half, if he's not 100%, he's at the cusp. So I think you can kind of anticipate seeing Benson at least in the first couple of games here. So that's a positive. Um, and then the other players that were asked about in terms of, and this is necessarily health related, um, but just haven't been with the team or, or wide receiver Lance Wilhoyt, defensive back, JJ Greenfield. Uh, Mario was asked for an update on those guys. And he said, not available right now. So and we haven't even seen them like off to the side of practice mm-hmm. or we haven't seen them like walking out of a facility for, for whatever reason, like obviously what they're dealing with right now is something pretty serious and they're just, they're not even around the team right now. Well, the last time I saw any of JJ Greenfield was a Micah Pittman YouTube video from I think mid June. So um, that's the, that's the only update I could possibly provide. And, and I don't think Lance Willowhite's been in any of the videos that Micah's <laughs> but, uh and that's actually kind of notable because he's a receiver and you think he'd be, they'd be around each other and you do see him interacting with, I think every other wide receiver um, in the last couple of months, um, but not Lance. So I, I don't know. We don't want to overread into it, but he's not, no, none of the guys are in the transfer portal. There's been no legal action against either of them that we are aware of. And we would be aware of, um, I don't know. We just don't know what's going on with those two guys. Not two guys I think would have played a lot right away, but at least right. two players to be aware of two guys that were pretty highly regarded recruits as well. Ball camp is over now, and I just real quick let's let's before before we end this show here, um, throwing this into our our pretend show notes impromptu style, just overarching theme for you guys. Like, what's your biggest takeaway through fall camp? Jared, why don't you go first? Okay, uh, I need to look at fall camp. <laughs> what? You're giving free advertising away. Think of all the, the right. millions of dollars we just turned around. International magazine that just happened to be in my desk here, so that's cool. Oh, good for you. You got a good selection there. I'll go Great. first. Uh, either of you guys are totally <laughs> unprepared here. Not that I'm unprepared. I was just going to let Jared go first and make a joke about not having show notes, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think for me, it's the fact that we are starting to see Oregon's recruiting classes stack up onto one another and the benefits that come with putting together a top 10 class, a top 10 class, a top 12 class, best class in program history, three years in a row, the, the development of just from a physical standpoint, athletic standpoint, agility standpoint, speed standpoint has improved tenfold. Well, I, I want to say a hundredfold, but that's a disservice to the guys that came before them. Sure. Um, but just like a, a true freshman safety looks as big as a outside linebacker that started for Oregon in 2014. Like, and this true safe, this true freshman safety is not even on, you know, the starting lineup or the two deep where 10 years ago, just by sheer size alone, they'd have to play him because he's, he's totally, you know, he has to play. Um, what Oregon's inside linebackers look like almost resemble like an, a defensive end, in early 2000s for, from an Oregon perspective. The receivers are drastically taller, longer, lankier um, than what we've traditionally seen from this group. And so I, I think for me, obviously 
coaching matters, skill development matters, but the game of football, when it boils down to it is bigger, faster, stronger people beating up on smaller, slower, weaker people. And Oregon has significantly upgraded their roster to be more of the bigger, faster, stronger um, component. And they're going to just look physically bigger and, and better than every opponent they play in the conference. Jared, would you like to go? I'll, yeah, I'll, I kind of, I'm kind of prepared now. I'm going to sort of piggy, piggyback off Matt's point, but I think for me it was just the pure talent level and in, in competitions. You know, there weren't a lot of competitions at fall camp this year, mainly you know cornerback, linebacker, quarterback, but. Each one of those spots, it's you know, you look at the like two or three guys who are vying for the starting position, and you're like, well, I'd be pretty good with any of these guys coming in and starting. And I don't think that's where the program was just you know four years ago. So that was a huge thing for me, just watching and going to practice and seeing everybody perform and and you know, thinking to yourself, it's like, well, that's a pretty good backup option. You know, if like for a line outside linebacker, or excuse me, a weak side linebacker with Justin Flo. Yeah, he's probably going to win the starting spot. But Drew Mathis is a capable defender in his own right. You know, he played last year a ton and showed that he could be a starting linebacker. But like Matt said, the bigger, faster, stronger guy in Justin Flo is your number one option. And that's a great thing for Oregon to have, to have those types of number ones on a depth chart in their sophomore years or whatever they are, freshman year after the COVID year. Yeah, that was impressive to me the entire fall camp where you really, I don't think, could go wrong with making a decision, but there might be a clear number one. I'm going to make like kind of a prediction that kind of goes along with mine here. And that's that I think more true freshmen being first year freshmen are going to play or are going to not burn their redshirt years this year than than we've seen under Mario Cristobal, at least I because I know under, there were some classes under Chip Kelly way back when where they did play a lot of guys because there was a, some depth concerns and stuff like that. But I could see – I mean, we talked about this on, I think, the a show a couple of days ago, Matt, of like it's just hard to run through the names of guys who are healthy that are freshmen that we don't think could play or like could at least help on special teams. And I could see more than – I could see double-digit true freshmen, first-year guys playing enough that they don't redshirt, um, you know. And that, that part of that's still all these guys are – they were all four-star recruits, basically, you know, or you know, or five stars in Kingsley's cage on on two four seven. Majority of them enrolled early, so there's some reasons why they're developed so fast. But like, I just think the caliber of player from this class really stands out. And when you look at just the position battles, like we've we've done a couple of predictions on the site of different position battles, like there are legit players contending here who are have never played at Oregon before, and this will be their first season at Oregon. And I just think that stands out. Matt talked about staffing recruiting classes. They've done that. And I just think this class in particular separates itself from what we've seen previously, even. Well, it kind of just pushes like, what does Chris always preach about competition, competition, competition. Like they're going out and, and landing the best players that they can possibly land. They're not going to shy away from like, I, I truly thought they would have a hard time landing some elite receivers in the 2022 recruiting class because of signing Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin, and Isaiah Bravard in 2021. And you could even maybe throw in a seven McGee into that mix as well. And what have they done? They've gone out and signed like, or they've landed commitments from three, four-star quarter, you know, receivers. 
And the th- the fourth receiver is an elite athlete from the state of Texas that probably like, I'm not going to say he, he should be a four star, but it wouldn't surprise me if a senior season and he plays really well and he gets to that point. So mm-hmm. um, this staff has shown the ability they can go out and it doesn't really matter what they did the year before. They're, they're going to bring in another good player. And when you do that in consecutive classes and then you do it again, and then you do it again, like your misses are going to get forgotten because your hits are, are going to be elite dudes. And then you're also going to find guys who exceed their expectations. And when you only sign five and four star recruits and guys exceed their expectations, that they're going to be even better than expected. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for watching. If you made it this far as well, head over uh, to YouTube to, to check out the, the visual v- version of the show. If you'd like to watch the visual version, um, we're on YouTube, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're uh, anywhere you can listen to a podcast. We're also now on uh, YouTube as well. So for Jared and for Eric, thank you for listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.